0: From training
1: to performing, join our big league conversation. Welcome to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast with your host, Eric Cressy.
0: Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 85. We're back after a brief hiatus, had a good chance to gather our thoughts and come up with some new content ideas. I've actually pre-recorded quite a few episodes um, with some really good guests that I think will be super timely with baseball starting back up here really soon. Today's guest is actually one of my really good friends in the college baseball coaching world, Um, a guy who has been super impressive to me just in his ability to take over a program and build it from the ground up, not just in terms of player development but involvement in the community, high academic kids, um, just a really cool resource that I've had in my corner um, working in the greater Boston area over the years, so I'm excited for you guys all to get to know him a little bit. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic geans can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for Sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy. C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest is a 1999 graduate of Boston College, where he played four years as a middle infielder. His senior year, he was selected as first team All-Big East and subsequently signed a free agent deal with the Boston Red Sox. He spent two years in their minor league system before transitioning to a special assistant to the major league staff role. He returned to the minor leagues for a coaching position in the organization and subsequently attended the MLB Scout Development Program. He returned to Boston College to join the staff as an assistant coach from 2003 to 2005 before accepting a regional scouting position for the Detroit Tigers. Two years later, he returned to the college coaching ranks as a recruiting coordinator and assistant coach at Virginia Tech. In the four years at Tech, 15 Virginia Tech players were selected in the Major League Baseball draft, including nine in 2010. The 2010 Hokies made their first appearance in the NCAA tournament since 2000 and finished the season ranked number 20 in the country. He then returned to his alma mater in 2010 as the head coach at Boston College, a position he holds to this day. Over the past 11 years, he's done a remarkable job building a successful program with a reputation of not only competing in the ACC and producing draft picks in three big leaguers, but also one that produces high achievers academically. Please welcome to the show, Mike Gambino. Welcome to the show, Mike. Eric, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Uh, and I'm excited to be on here with you this is going to be fun because I've, I've seen the rise of BC baseball over the last 10 years and and gotten to know you too from your your roots and, and kind of what it started as, what it's become. And, um, before we kind of dig into like the BC specific aspect, I wanted to talk a little bit maybe about your path to coaching. Um, so what I thought was interesting, obviously you played at Boston College um, and then worked into, you know, playing some professional baseball. There were some opportunities in the kind of the Red Sox, like Major League coaching staff Then a return to some of the minor league coaching. There was, you know, volunteer experience at Virginia Tech into a, a you know, coaching opportunity at BC and then back to Virginia Tech. So I'm curious, like, uh, how did your path to coaching all play out? Did you find it to be a hard transition or did it come very naturally for you?
1: Well, the original
0: foray into coaching, um,
1: I actually got a call in the off season from the Red Sox, um, starting to talk to me about the idea of a job, about going into the coaching side, and you know, and and my initial response was, you know, I, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if I'm I want to coach. I think at some point, but I, I'm not sure. I might want to kind of play one more year. And the response I got was. Well, we kind of think you might be better in a coaching role. <laughs> so, uh, I was able to, to pick up on those hints that you know I was <clears throat> my playing days were over, and you know I was extremely lucky. I spent a couple of years in play bo- in, in professional baseball, and um, I always sort of said I just wanted to kind of wring out every ounce of talent out of whatever I had, and I and I think you know for me I was. An eight ball player. I think that's really was my ceiling. It's kind of what I was. And I was really lucky to have that chance to get there. And sort of have that opportunity to start coaching at that age was was unbelievable. I got great experience. I was able to spend the first half of the year around the major league staff and and sort of just being an extra helping hand there. And then I got to spend the second half of the year in the short season in Lowell. So really, really good experience. Um and in the middle of that, my first year, they also sent me for a couple weeks. On um to go into and help with the draft, um so I all of a sudden got two weeks like diving in deep on what the the draft looks like, which was awesome. So for my first year coaching, I was really, really, extremely lucky. And then, um and then you yeah I did I kind of bounced back and forth a little bit between college baseball and professional baseball and scouting, trying to figure out a little bit where I wanted to be long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew I wanted to work in baseball. I know how much I love baseball. Um, but at 23, 24, 25, I was still figuring that out. And, <clears throat> um, you know, the scouting was, an, was amazing experience. Um, getting to go to Virginia Tech with Pete Hughes, uh, was great experience, especially in, in, in taking over what was what was going to be a, a complete rebuild there, uh, and the success we were able to have there. Um, and then when this job opened up here 10 years ago, having gone here and, you know, I knew it had to have a long-term vision here because I knew it was going to be a long build. I knew it wasn't going to be a quick fix. I knew we were f- pretty far away as far as facilities and competitiveness. Like, there was a lot of work, but um, it's my alma mater. I love Boston. I love this area, and I really believed in the sort of the long-term vision of what we could build here. So, yeah, it was kind of a crazy back-and-forth path. Um, but in the back of my mind, I sort of always I always kind of hoped the opportunity would
0: Come up here at Boston College. What What do you think your biggest adjustments from playing to coaching were? Like, were there were there things that you struggled with in that initial period? One of the best advice I got, Arnie Baylor was my manager
1: uh, in a ball one year, and and um you know I I played from the great managers. Arnie Baylor was one of them. Mike bollinger was one of them. And, they, and guys that sort of like I think had the idea that I might go into coaching someday. And, and Arnie especially took me under his wing and would kind of include me in a lot of conversations. And I remember he said to me one time, he said, remember the farther away from playing you get, the easier the game was. <laughs> and he, he's like, that was like, and I was still playing at the time. And I, when he first said it, I was like, I had to kind of think about it. And then, but I remember that going into coaching because sometimes we you, know, you going to coaching and, and as a coach, you're like, well, we'll just do this. Or why didn't you just do that? And we've got to remember coaches, man, this game is really hard. Mm-hmm. and, um, so that, that line and that idea really helped me. Um, and then, you know, it just, you see the game from such a different light. And I started being early on, just looking at, and, and I, in my first coaching job, when I was coaching the short season, Lowell, I was coaching with guys that I just, some of which I had just played with. Um, so I had this, you know, really good relationship with them and was able to, to, to have this relationship where I was working through stuff with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Because eight months ago, six months ago, we were in the cage together, just working. And now I'm coaching them. And in a lot of ways, that's sort of affected how I coach that, you know, that when I'm working with players and and it's part of how we treat everything in our program, like we're on this journey with them. It's not this is do this because I said so. Or everybody has to do it this way. Right. It's how are we working through this, this together To kind of help you get where you need to go. And sometimes as a coach that working through this together means, hey, man, that's not good enough. That effort wasn't good enough. Or you need to be here on time. Like that's also working through it together. Sometimes it has to be a hard conversation. But sometimes it's saying, hey, man, I know this is really hard. Let's try Let's try a couple things and see if we can get through this together.
0: Yeah, you know, I have a I have a little bit of a theory on like players that go into you know managing and you know some have good outcomes, some don't. I think one of the things that and I've talked about this a little bit on the podcast in the past, so it's a little redundant for some of our listeners, but I think you know when you're a, when you're an athlete, you have to be inherently selfish, right? You have to eat the right stuff, you have to sleep at the right times, you have to be you know singularly focused and like developing your craft and when when you coach it's the exact opposite you have to be really selfless you have to invest in people you have to get to know them on a really deep level you have to ask questions so you can get through to them and i always think this is why like you know we see you know former catchers you know be such good managers in many cases like they're forced to serve a pitching staff it's all about serving and like for you you were kind of like the super utility infielder right like you could play anywhere they needed you to play like do you think some of that almost like role player status was something that served you well in the years that followed yeah, yeah, I think, I think a couple things. One, I was, you know, a lot of the guys,
1: especially that we coach at this level, the athletes that you get to work with, they were the best players all the way through.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I wasn't that kid. I wasn't, you know, I, I, it wasn't just something that always came easy to me. Um, and you know, it was also really ingrained into me, um, from a really young age from from my mom and dad my dad coached me in in a bunch of different sports when i was little but the team comes first it's all it all that matters is the team and what can you do to make your teammates better that was like part of what i was taught really early from my dad um and um you know I, i mean i can remember even arguing with my dad going back to like you know seven eight year old rec basketball you know like just the saturday morning rec basketball right where like my dad was coaching and and I was mad because you know this is a rec league everybody plays the same amount of minutes this is just this is little kids running around and I wanted to play more mm-hmm. and I remember my dad saying it's not about you it's about the team like I, stop enough <laughs> you know or yeah. um and, you know I remember you know, the, you know back this is back when everybody played American Legion and making your American Legion team was a big deal and I remember making the team and my dad just being like hey whatever they need you to do to help the team win you do it and so that was always and honestly it's part of what we look for in the recruiting process the Mm -hmm. the 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 part of a kid's personality kids that are attracted to being part of something bigger than themselves Mm
0: -hmm.
1: is something that's really important to me and it's the kids that we want to recruit here so going back to your question about catchers yeah catchers they realize their job is not about them Mm -hmm. right like i don't want to get hit by this baseball. Yeah. But getting hit by this baseball is going to help my pitcher. This is about him. I'll get hit by this baseball, right? I mean, you know, so I, I, think, I think that part of a personality, um, and, and to me that's what coaching is about. I mean, it's for this, in, in this program, I, I try to, I always sort of say the better things are going on this program, the less anybody's going to see my face. Um, and, you know, rarely, I'm, unless I'm forced to, I really do post game interviews after wins. Um, you know, to me, it's about the boys, it's about the team, it's about the program, and I only ever want guys talking about the players and the team and the program. And and um, so that 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 personality trait I think leads to good leaders and good coaches, and, and that's the kids we try to recruit.
0: I like it. All right, so circa 2010, 2011, I remember you came out to the facility to, to work out with Kevin so You guys are, are type really close friends. Um, it was right after you got the BC law, job, and I remember you said something to me. It stuck out in my mind. You said, "We don't want to just be a place where guys go because they can't go to Virginia. We want to be the place that guys go to when they want to come to BC in the first place." Like, d- describe what you were feeling then. Like, what was the background for that? And then you know how things have changed over the years.
1: Um. Yeah, I do remember that. And like you say, Kevin, you know, Kevin, Kevin's family. We've been yeah. friends for a really, really long time. And I remember I just got up here. Um, a side note of that story. It's something I've always, you know, you were really just kind of starting yeah. to really build at that point. And yeah. um, it was really, it's been really cool and fascinating um, for me to watch. And obviously, we've become close friends over the years. But to take, you know, you were more than just a small little gym at that point, but like just like one step past a small little gym. Yeah. you know what i mean like exactly. you were just starting to expand you were just starting to get you know a good group of guys you know you had a couple big leaguers starting yeah. to come in there people were just starting to hear about you mm-hmm. and then to sort of watch you watch um the continual build and growth that that of what you have done with your business um you know your business your brand your career everything has been Really awesome and fun to watch. And I, like, I'm, I'm proud to watch you do that as a friend. It was it's really cool. Um, Thank you. But uh, yeah, so coming out there, when I first got up here, you know, Virginia, um, you know, for a long time has, has been a really good program. And, and at, especially at that point, when I first started having these conversations with kids up here, we were, we were sort of like the second and third choice when I first tried all the time. It was always like we'd be recruiting kids, and they liked this, but they wanted to see what was going to happen with Virginia. I, I used Virginia as an example, but you know it was Virginia, it was Stanford. It, you know, like a lot of these different programs that we were just kind of having to wait on, and and you know people didn't look at us as a first choice at that point. Um, and and partly I understood a little bit why. I mean, we you know we had some of the worst facilities at that point in college baseball. You know, really up until about three years ago, we'd probably be the, some of the worst facilities in college baseball. So we were behind in facilities that, that, you know, we were we were in the spot that we were starting to, you know, we were starting a rebuild. Um, so I knew we were going to kind of scuffle on the field for a couple of years. Um, and again, so we had to look at like a, in my head, a five and a 10 year plan. Mm-hmm. Right. we early on. you know, And this is not a quick rebuild place. Boston yeah. College is not a quick turnaround place. You know, for a couple different reasons, but for one of which, and I know this is commonplace in college baseball now, and I, and I I don't love this part of our profession now, but nowadays in, in rebuilds, people come in and bring twenty five kids in the first recruiting class and twenty five kids in the second recruiting class, mm-hmm. and you just run out and fifty kids get dumped along the way, kids that were on the roster, and all of a sudden you, there's a new roster in two years. Yeah. Um, and I and you know, I you look at these these kids; those are life changing events, and and you know, some of the kids that were here that that. Um, you know, those so we have some kids that they're on those first couple teams that are really successful in their jobs. Some got a chance to play professional baseball, they're great kids, they got Boston college degrees. I just didn't believe in coming in and and flipping a roster right away and leaving yeah. kids high and dry. I just didn't believe that. And and they're great kids, you know. So um so you know, so the first year plan the first five year plan was like, what do we need to do to really start to, to it was about recruiting to really get competitive in this league. Um You know, to 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 start showing that we can develop players, to start showing that we can have guys drafted out of here consistently, right? And also start this fundraising push, and start this longer vision of of getting a facility built. Yeah. Um, you know, and and so that was that was early on, and then you know, lucky enough, you have Chris Shaw as a first round pick in 15. You have Justin Dunn as a first round pick in 16. You know, we're one win away from Omaha in 16. You know, Michael King, who gets the big leagues, you know, last year, year and a half ago now, mm-hmm. uh, like, oh, you have these guys starting to come out. And all of a sudden, people are like, man, there's now there's prospects coming out of there. And like, you know, so that was kind of that first that first five years. And then the next five year plan, the next part of the five year plan that I had originally was years five, to 10, was, let's get these facilities going. Yeah. um, And, you know, so on top of, you know, the winning consistently and adding, you know, more draft picks out of there. And, you know, I think you know, I think, I think in 2019, I think we, you know, we were a bubble team. We were, you know, just out, I think we should have been in. I think last year we had a um, a real chance to go to Omaha last year's team. I thought um, was a legitimate Omaha contender, obviously before COVID hits. And, um, you know, but then three years ago you opened the Harrington athletics village. All of a sudden we have a new stadium and then we move in this year to the Pete Frady center. And all of a sudden now we have a player development building next to it. So, you know, going back to that comment, it was like, yeah, I, I knew when we got here, we were, we were not going to be the the first choice for a lot of kids. It, it was going to be, let's see what other places are doing, and if not, then I'll look at BC, and and we've got ourselves to the point now where now you butt heads with anybody in the country. BC is 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 a place that we had one of our committee kids. some the other day, he's like, coach, all of my friends, all they want to do is like tell coach about me, tell coach about me, tell coach about me. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's that's a you know a recent phenomenon here.
0: Yeah. I think it's great because, you know, a key part of that is like development came before you thinking that anything was owed to you you know what i mean like you had to come in and prove hey this is a, a place that's a high academic institution where we can develop baseball players even with you know less than ideal circumstances you know like there were there were cars being parked on the baseball field during football games and stuff like oh, you guys, yeah. guys knew that was going on and that was something you had to recruit against in many cases but when you start seeing Shaw and dunn and king you know surging through professional baseball and not all that like you know taking miami right to the brink and almost and almost making it to that next level like guys saw that and it, it automatically led to that next level of you know this makes recruiting easy this makes it easier to get improvements in facilities you gotta you gotta show a quality product first and i, I respect that a lot and, and and you know two things one
1: we never hid from that yep right like i i didn't there was nothing about you know even this junior class i mean people are talking about this junior classes arguably the one of the best recruiting classes in the Northeast ever, and yep. you know, with all due respect to some of those classes, that Springer, and i like, this isn't a conversation for one of the best classes ever. Mm-hmm. Those guys thought they were playing on Shea Field. Yeah. Everybody that we recruited in the past, we said, look, these are our facilities. Mm-hmm. If you don't think you can get better here, then don't come. Right? Michael King still jokes and laughs about it. He's like, yeah. sometimes I thought you weren't even trying to recruit me because you were being so honest. you like, <laughs> 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 but like, I used to tell kids, we're going to be in Omaha on this field. You know, we're going to be in Super Regionals." Like, you know, like we showed we could be, but these are the facilities. That's where we were in 2010, 11, 12, 13 in our recruiting process. And so I would bring them out there and, and you know, the guests at that time, people tailgated on the baseball field for <laughs> football games. I mean, that, that was real. And there were actually cars parked and there was actually porter potties on, you know, in parts of the outfield for Friday night <laughs> for Friday afternoon practice. That was all real. And I didn't hide from it. I yeah. didn't. I just, you know, and I just told kids that, you know, we believe we can develop big leaguers here and we develop, we believe we can compete to go to Omaha here. And if you don't believe that also, then don't come. And the kids that came believed in it and showed you could, you know, and, and we'd had that success in the past because you look back at, you know, in the program before Tony uh, Sanchez and Mike Belfiore had gotten in the big leagues, you know, not too long ago. Right. Yeah. So for the, for the right type of kid with the right mentality and that toughness, you could, you could develop here, but it was, it was a hard sell. Mm-hmm. Um, But like you said, we we told our kids then and we tell our kids now, you don't deserve anything. Yeah. I don't want to hear this word deserve. Like we are going to fight. We're going to scrap. And at that point in our program, the number one most important thing to me, and it has not changed. And it doesn't mean winning is not important. Winning is critically important, right? Mm -hmm. But we are built on our player development system. Yeah. This program is first and foremost about player development. And I believe if you do a great job with your – with your formation, that idea of formation mm-hmm. is a very Jesuit term, right? In a Jesuit education, the idea of taking your students, it's, you're not just educating them, you're helping form them, right? How we do that on the baseball field, if we're obsessed with that and you're creating, you're helping develop their character, you're helping them reach their potential in the classroom, you're helping them reach their potential on the baseball field. And you do that and you do that really well. That becomes built into your culture. The work ethic becomes built into your culture. The character is built into your culture. The winning takes care of itself, and the dog piles happen, you know. And, and honestly, that's even how we built the Pete Frady Center. The, the very first meeting I had with our AD at the time was Martin Jarman, who's um, he's since he's now the athletic director at UCLA. Mm-hmm. And Father Leahy, they said, "What are the most important things for you as we start designing this building?" You know, Father said, "Give me your three most important things." And I think he was thinking like something in the building. And I said, "Father, player development." player development player development mm-hmm. every decision gets made on that based on that and like he was surprised He's like you're not gonna put your office down there i'm like no <laughs> i want every i want every dollar spent on the development of our
0: athletes." that's it and it's showing i mean you got three guys that are projected to go in the first day of the draft that that says a lot um and i'm curious let's, let's build on that so i um you know i know you have a background in both scouting and player development Um, your roster is probably 90% Northeast guys, right? You have some New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island. um, And then there's a few California, Texas, Florida guys mixed in. Um, Mm -hmm. Have have you been burned in the past by players who have come from warm weather climates, you know, who can't handle the cold in Massachusetts? Or do you think it's more something that's just happened maybe more organically because you guys, from a scouting standpoint, have greatest proximity to Massachusetts and Rhode Island guys?
1: Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I think one,
0: you have to be... You know, there's a,
1: in the past, there had been a stigma about coming north, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, we had to show that, you know, we had to, you know, we had to sometimes show that, that you come to the Northeast, this is a great baseball town. We're playing on the best baseball conference in the mm-hmm. country. Now we have facilities to match up with anybody. But in the past, you sort of had to fight that facilities Northeast thing, which was true, mm-hmm. right? Four years ago when a kid came up and saw this facility. So you had to fight that a little bit. Um... You know, one of the things I do love, I love multiple sport athletes. Yep. Um, You know, I love two and three sport athletes. It seems, and this is somewhat of an overgeneralization, that um, out west and down south, there's a lot less multiple sport kids. Kids are are specializing a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I know there's a lot of arguments both ways. I I believe it's better for kids to play multiple sports all the way through. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's better for their overall development in a lot of different ways, um, both physically, mentally, everything. Um, And I just love kids that want to compete, right? Like I, like I want the kid, you know. And and I hate to take a knock on the showcase culture that we've created, whatever. But I want kids that want to go out and try to win or lose, yeah, and choose to play, you know, football or basketball or hockey. That you know, and, and and be on part of a team. And, you know, sometimes they're not the best player on that team. And, you know, how do we work together to reach a goal? Like, I, I want kids that are attracted to that because they'll then do it on the baseball field. um, And that also tends to be kids that have the biggest jumps because they haven't been playing. Yeah. You know, the, the the full-time baseball kids, a lot of times are really good. You don't sort of have the exponential growth. You have the continued development. But, you know, you see a lot more of the sort of hockey stick exponential development with two and three sport kids they just haven't had the reps um so oh. you know it's a little bit of both and, and we also we spend a lot of time my number one thing and I learned this a lot actually when I was scouting for the Tigers Dave Dombrowski was the GM and he used to like drill it into us get the makeup right get yep. the makeup right and and on our staff here we talk about it all the time get the makeup right who have we talked to you know, if we if we've only talked to one of their coaches, it's not enough. talk to their summer coach, talk to their high school coach, talk to their basketball coach. Have we talked to somebody in the high school? Have we got to their guidance counselor? Like, you know, and it doesn't mean you can't do that around the country, but the but proximity helps with familiarity. Right. You just they're on campus more. We, we, you're able to build a better relationship. And um, so, it, you know, you know, and, and so it's sort of a little bit of both
0: of what you said of how it came about. I like that, um, and and the, I, I'm I'm not sure there is a debate on the multi-sport side of things. Like we've got research over and over again that shows those guys stay healthier. You know, if you're if you're on a field, you're going to be more likely to develop as a player. There's no doubt about it. So, um, you I, know, I, I, I would agree
1: amazing. with you. I I have a hard time when people try to debate it. I, mm-hmm. you know, but like there are people that say you have to specialize early, and, yep. and I think it's bad in all the sports. I think it's bad. You know, yeah. I, I mean, you know, this is your world. You know this better than I do. But the repetitive use injuries you can go through each sport. And you know what it's gonna be, right? And girls lacrosse is their ACLs, yeah. right? I mean, it's
0: each sport has a thing that, like, when you're only doing this one thing, this is what's happening to your body. I think, um, you know, the other one too, is just like from a pure, you know, outside of the actual physical aspect, but I think it teaches you to roll with different social circles. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, even think time management, I can remember having a, a, a conversation with, with Mike King and his dad, when he was probably a sophomore, maybe a junior at Bishop Henderton. And, you know, he was getting really excited about like more involved long toss and like developing his arm and he was still playing hoops. So he was a guy who would go to basketball practice and he'd be playing catch, simulating long toss in the gym after mm-hmm. basketball ended. Cause he had to be ready for that third Monday in March when baseball season got going like like that's time management you you learn how to make it work because you have to get the work in and it's just it's not magically going to happen if you wish for it you have to make time instead of finding time i
1: agree 100 and and i also think there's something you know in the, in the, you know 25 years ago you picked up your glove and your bat when the winter sport ended right so mm-hmm. we're past that i understand yeah. that um but at the same time there i think there's something really be- valuable and nobody loves a game of baseball more than I do. Like, I I honestly love it, but there is something valuable about having, whether it's one season or two, where you're just competing at something else. We're just, we're just, you know, beyond the physical part of it, which is crit- critically important, um, but just competing at something else. And there are transferable skills. They are, right? Like, th- it, it might not be exactly helping you get glove side on, on your fastball, mm-hmm. but I tell you what, man, when you're not the best player, on your basketball team and your job is to guard their best player and rebound. Mm-hmm. Like that's a transferable skill, man. The toughness, yeah. the grit, the being part of it, you know, and, and you know, the, the, one of the other funny things is uh, I have it with kids all the time. I had this conversation with a kid the other night. He's like, yeah, I'm thinking about not playing basketball. Cause you know, and, and obviously COVID times a little bit different, but just, you know, he, his high school season was, they were going to have a shortened season. They were getting ready to get going. And I said, well, what are you going to do? He's like, well, I really want to work on my, you know, my speed and my agility and my quickness I'm like, well, what are you going to be doing at basketball practice every day? I'm like, you're essentially doing that at basketball practice. I mean, I know it's not exactly the same. I'm like, but look at all the footwork you're going to be doing every day at basketball. Yeah. That is somewhat transferable. I mean, it doesn't mean you can't go get some extra sprints or some bursts at the end. Um, you know, but so, yeah, I, I just, I am all in on, um, and again, it's not like we don't want to recruit the rest of the, the country. And it doesn't mean, I mean, Mason Pellier was one sport, Southern California, one sport kid. and you know, he's worked out pretty well. And like you said, he's one of the guys that's going to be a first round pick this year, but, um, that multiple sport, you know, Northeast kid, super athletic, but super competitive. And, um, it's just, that's just sort of the model of the kid that we love.
0: I love it. All right. So, uh, I'm curious, we, we kind of glazed over it a little bit, but what are the biggest mistakes you see high school players and their parents make in this outreach to college? Right. So you're, you're, you're being recruited now, <laughs> you know, like they're trying to get mm-hmm. to you. So, um, what are your, what are your top recruiting pet peeves? <clears throat> well, I-, I will tell you and it's changed a little bit because in-, in the past I would have told
1: you when parents are overly involved uh, but that's back when you were rec- recruiting kids that were, you know, juniors going into senior year. Yeah. Like right? there's got to be a certain point when the kids are able to, to take it over on their own. Yeah. Nowadays, unfortunately, I hate it but some of the conversations you're having with freshmen and sophomores, I, I don't blame the parents that they want to at least. Yeah. I- I'll tell you this, when when my son or daughter, you know, if if they're good enough to be, Recruited at some point, or even take that out. When my son or my daughter is 14, 15, 16 years old, if they're on the phone with an adult, yeah. I'm probably going to at least want to know who that is. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I will tell you this the, I do understand parents wanting to be somewhat involved, but, you know, the kids have to sort of be um, at the sort of the front. They got to be of the, the, point, the point, man. <laughs> they got to be the point, man. They have yep. to take some responsibility. They have to take some ownership. Um, I, you know, I think one of the, um, you know, I think there's there's sort of a fine line that over-involved, mm-hmm. and I'm going to generalize, but it tends to be dads yep. who um, talk about it as a we thing, mm-hmm. um, sort of that living through the player because you, then you have a hard time trying to find out is this what the kid really wants? Yeah, you know, so that's the that's one of the mistakes they make. But the other one of the other mistakes I think, we, especially with how young kids are, when parents say that this is going to be the kid's decision on his own. Mm-hmm. because they're not quite ready to make these decisions on their own yeah. at the, you know at 16 years old and um and and I think this is a little bit off your question but the same idea I think one of the mistakes that kids and parents are making right now mm-hmm. is they're they're worried about what the kid thinks is cool right now and the problem with that is cool is so fickle mm-hmm. and what a kid thinks is cool at 15 and 16 is not what he's going to think is cool at 21 22 yep and so, both his age is going to change, but also it's a long ways away. You're five years away, sometimes, you know, from or you know, three to five years away from that, from you know, being really part of that team and in that and in that culture. And a lot of things can change. So, I, I think the biggest thing I think parents and kids need to do is slow down. Which is, and this is a hard time in COVID times. It's hard because nobody's been on the baseball field. Yeah. Nobody's able to recruit for so long, so I understand, but it's hard because parents and kids are going through this for the first time. Sometimes, a lot of times, they get one shot at it, right? If you have multiple kids that go through the recruiting process, you can learn, but um, they get one one shot through, so they got to spend a little bit of time. The parents have to help in the right amount, meaning be somewhat involved, but not overly involved, um, to help sort through what is the real stuff, what is it that we're actually looking for. Mm-hmm. In a school, how important are academics? How important is location? How important is size? How important is conference? Um, so I think all those things, and I think the other a big mistake kids and parents make is they they tie their self worth into the bumper sticker or the yeah. back you know or the you know the the stick on the back of the car, and, and they think you know my my kid's cooler or my or I'm cooler, I'm better if I get to go to the school where where sometimes the right fit you know, sometimes the right fit might be the really good academic local Division three school because it fits exactly what you're looking for. And it doesn't matter, right? And, and sometimes people think, well, the SEC is cooler because of this, or the Pac-12 is cooler, and, and and they miss sort of the point of what it is they're looking for, um, what they should have been looking for. You know, we'll see it a lot of times. if If we talk to a kid, and as they start learning the process, the schools that they are starting to focus on, right – If they are all over the map, literally, location-wise, all over the map, all over the map academically, and all over the map size-wise, then I'm like, I don't think they are really sure what they're looking for. Yeah. Right? Once you start narrowing it down, you should have a pretty good idea of, this is about where I fit talent-wise, which is hard, but you have to have people around you that you trust, and people around you that can be honest and have hard conversations with you, right, to say, look at your son, this is where he fits, And it's okay. It's okay that he's not good enough to play at this school. And I know that he would like to go there and I know that you would like him to go there, but he's not good enough to play there. Here are some other schools that are similar. So you have to have people around you that you trust and then you have to be honest with your kid and honest with yourself.
0: Right on. So, you know, I I think, you know, you've You also were both a hitting and a pitch uh, infield coach, right? So talk to me a little bit about, you know, from a pure player development standpoint, what are the crucial competencies? You know, you you bring in a shortstop, you bring in a third baseman. What are things that you see? Because we we both know, like, you know, uh, pre-pitch preparation and moving runners and stuff like that. It's not getting highlighted in showcase ball, right you You hit homers and get flashy and you know and show off is is what's happening mm-hmm. a lot more in youth development. so what are the crucial competencies you try to establish in these two areas when kids get to b c from high school? I mean, are there shortcomings you see in the average skill set that comes in for a, a division one player that you're encountering these days? Yeah, so I think there's kind of two things I'll hit on with that one
1: excuse me i I agree with you, and we spend a lot of time trying to find and trying to watch the kids in situations where they're playing real baseball, because just seeing them throw in the showcase doesn't tell me if they can get out of a jam. doesn't tell me what they're going to do. If they give up a three spot in the first, or they go single walk in the, in the third. Now it's first and second, nobody out. Like how are they going to handle it? Or what are you going to do in the fifth when you're exhausted and you're an 84 four? You're at you're a high school kid, you're at 84 pitches and there's two outs, And we need you to get this out. Your team needs you to get this out. What are you going to do? Like, we spend a lot, a lot of time trying to watch these kids, trying to find them in those situations so we can get baseball players. And I know it's getting, we're going more and more showcase and more and more showcase. but you got to play the baseball game. Yeah. Um, and um, so we, we do try to find that and we try to work on that when they're here. Um, that's um, spending time teaching and teaching teaching the game as well as teaching the skills is really, really, really important to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I know it's sort of just a little bit sidetracked on that, but um, one of the, the problems, and I'm putting air quotes around problems, that we find is um, the talent level that these kids have hides sort of mistakes and shortcomings, if, if that makes sense. So, you have a kid. You know, we we'll get kids coming in that are ninety-two, ninety-three. They didn't have great fastball command. They weren't great at controlling runners. They weren't as great with their secondary as they thought, because the fastball was just too much. It just dominated the hitters they were facing. Mm-hmm. So the breaking ball might not have consistently been a strike, but they thought it was because it got swung at most times. You know, so they thought it was a strike more than it was, or. Their fastball command actually wasn't as good as they thought. Mm-hmm. It was just too much velocity. Now these guys can handle the velocity. Yeah, you you know right. So you know, and the same you sort of see the same thing with our infields. We get kids whose hands and feet and arms are so good that they don't have to have everything synced up correctly. They don't. Their footwork around a double play doesn't have to be great. They thought it was because they were better than everybody else. You know, the an analogy that I'll use is. Um, we actually get the same thing in the classroom sometimes, we'll get, we get, we, you know, this is, it's it's a top 30 academic school here and we get kids. Um, we, we recruit high academic kids. The problem is sometimes the kids we get weren't actually great students. They thought they were, they got great grades. Mm -hmm. They had a four O they got the 13 something, but they were just so much smarter than everybody that they didn't actually develop the habits of becoming a great student. And then they come here and they're like, Oh man, everybody's this good.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And they have to
1: develop the habits to become a better student. That's what we spend a lot of time with. What are the little things that are going to take you? Yes, you were better than everybody else there, but now here, everybody's this good. So now we have to go back to work on your pre-pitch routine. We have to go back to. We talk about with our infielders. We go to. We go back to kindergarten every fall. Mm-hmm. How do you feel the ground ball? I mean, okay. we seriously like. How do you? You know what are your. Um, you know, your left, right, kick out, step. What does it look like to turn a double play from the second base side for all of our guys? And one of the other things that we've done with our infielders, we always do this. All of our infielders, not your first baseman, they play all three positions. They learn all three positions. They play all three positions all fall, and even in a bit um, in the preseason, Mm -hmm. which I've been doing here forever because I'm a big believer in, and has become even more important as you see. You know, we we use analytics a ton um, in in what I believe are the right times. Yeah. We've been shifting here. I mean, you made that comment to me. I remember you came in a game like ten, you know, eight years ago now, when a lot of people were shifting. You're like, "What are you doing? Like, you're you're moving these guys around a lot." And then college baseball that wasn't happening really hardly at all. Um, But the guys need to be able to play all over the field, Mm -hmm. both for their own careers and also because you could put anybody anywhere at some
0: point. Yeah, it gives you adjustability. It gives you adjustability, right? Uh, I love that, and like, let's be honest. Like, I I remember a conversation actually with Jim Penders back in the day at UConn. He was like, "We recruit a lot of pitchers, catchers, and shortstops because Mm -hmm. I know that usually those shortstops are the best players on the on the field, the best athletes, and you can move them around as needed. That guy can become a right fielder or or play second if his arm's not good enough, or something like that. So, something to be said about being athletic,
1: exactly right. And and if I sort of agree, I sort of and we and we did it early on. Our first couple recruiting classes, we legitimately only had shortstops in them. And then, and then spread them out. And now we get a little bit more specialized, but predominantly, you know, we do recruit a lot of shortstops. You know, one of the differences here, we'll, we'll, we'll be honest with kids.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, South Frederick was a shortstop and told him yeah. like, we don't think you're not going to play shortstop here. I know you're a shortstop. You're going to come in and you can play second base or center field.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It worked out you all know, right for him,
0: right? <laughs> he, I think he's going to play center field in the big leagues for a long time. Yeah. Um. So actually, that, that's a good segue to my next question. So you've been there over 10 years now, and you've got a good sample size of guys who are not only getting to pro, but also guys that are making it to the big leagues. What are the characteristics you've seen in those guys that differentiates them and allows them to compete at that next level when they all come in? You know, presumably somewhat on the same ground as, as freshmen at BC. I think a couple things that... Um, you know, I, I actually had somebody say
1: to me that I was actually really proud of this as a compliment to our players. Um, I had somebody say about our program recently um, that if you look at our program, our guys have um, a lot of success in professional baseball, not just the guys that get the big leagues, not just Justin Dunn and Michael King and Chris Shaw, but also guys like Joey Cronin who got up to double A with Minnesota. He was a, a, a senior you know, drafted after a senior, was not highly recruited kid out of high school, right? You know, and, and had a ton of success in professional baseball or mm-hmm. Donovan Casey, who's in um, Double A with the Dodgers, that regardless of the talent level, if that makes sense, or when they went into professional baseball, our guys play longer. They tend to have more success. They, they tend to be, and I think that has a lot to do with what you just asked about, that, that you try to make sure that you're getting, you're recruiting kids um, with a certain amount of drive. Mm-hmm. on and off the field um, and then and then try to teach them how to prepare because what you're preparing for becomes different. Yeah. Right? So, and 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 you know this. I mean, you and I have talked about this for years. What an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid is doing in the weight room is going to be different than the 29, 30-year-old. It doesn't mean that th- you don't have to work as hard anymore when you're 30, 31, 32, but your body's in a different spot. There's different things you need to be doing. There's different things. You know, sometimes our guys need to be work When they first get here, Raw strength is important to them,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? When you're 32, you're not worried as much about raw strength. You're making yeah. sure your movements are, and not yeah. that movement quality is not important for college kids, but yeah. do, those things change, right? And yeah. what you're preparing for um, on the baseball field will change, will change the information that you're getting. But so the kids that become really, really focused on their preparation, focused on their process. I also think, I also think guys that are really, really focused on winning, it actually helps them when they get into professional baseball because professional baseball is inherently so selfish in the minor leagues. Yeah. Right. And, and it's so hard to figure out cause you've got guys around you moving up and down and why is that guy get moved up and who, this guy just got traded. And sometimes if you can just really worry about the controllables and like, you know what, I'm just going to worry about helping this team win. Yeah. Then it can just help you play baseball. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember talking to, to Justin a little bit. That was one of the things he struggled with when he first got into professional baseball was he cared most about winning and there were times that, you know, in, in lower levels that it's just not important. Yeah. You know, and, and he just wanted to he wanted that team. And it was one thing that he loved so much in Seattle last year it was a group of guys that were closely knit and cared about winning and playing together. And so, you know, I think when we recruit kids, guys like that, it also allows them to have that success in professional baseball. Um, And on top of that, um, it's also built into our program, everything we do that, that sort of to be able to handle adversity and to be able to handle when things go wrong, and we talk because it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna like for all of them. So, you know, and, and Chris Shaw talks about one of the most important things with him getting in the big leagues. Chris Shaw hit 160 as a freshman, <laughs> actually, and and to be honest, he, he and I would both joke about it, but I think he hit like 340 the last two weeks to get up to 260. <laughs> I'm te- I'm sorry, get yeah. up to 160. Um, but he talks about hitting 160 as a freshman was one of the most important things in his development. That helped him get to the big leagues to learn how to get through that, to learn how to handle that diversity.
0: Uh, you know, I've I'm, heard similar I'm sorry, stories. Adversity, and and that's not a. I mean, I hear stories about David Price wanting to leave Vanderbilt after his first semester. I remember Aaron Judge talking about struggling at Fresno State as a freshman. There, there's a there's a track record. of Those, and, you know, it's how those guys respond to adversity that matters the most.
1: Justin Dunn didn't pitch in his first weekend at BC, <laughs> um, and we and we talk about a bunch a bunch. Of, he didn't make a travel squad freshman year. He he wasn't ready and one of the biggest things in his growth and development was realizing he wasn't ready yeah cuz at first he was mad about it and pissed and and why am i not playing and da da, da. and when he and then when he all of a sudden realized like look man i i got to throw more strikes i got to be able to command my secondary you know when when he made that that maturation when when that maturity started to come in and he was able to look and say okay this is why I'm not getting the ball
0: as much as I would like, and if I start, and all of a sudden, boom, it started to come. Yeah. Um, so you guys just did an amazing, you know, build out on the baseball and softball complex on, on camp, complex on campus. What are you know What are the important menus that that provided for you that you guys didn't have? I know you mentioned it's all about player development. What are the specifics that you were you were requesting in that process?
1: Yeah. So, um, in, you know, in phase one in Pellegrini Diamond, mm-hmm. you know, one of the most important things was just to have a baseball field that was ours all the time, right? That's three years ago, being able to do that to know where we were playing all of our home games and to not like you mentioned before, have to worry about Saturday tailgating affect our practice for a week. So, you know, that was sort of the, the, the easy initial thing three years ago, um, coming in as we opened up the Pete Frady center this November is again, just focused on player development. Um, the, the second floor, um, of the building is seven cages. Um, Mm -hmm. That we can raise and lower all the different screens um, to open up to any to any sort of configuration we would like. So you can have seven cages going, um, and there, or you can have some double cages. If you want to go live, you can open it all the way up to throw, um, you know, to long toss and, and air it out. We can do some ground ball work. It's not a full diamond, mm-hmm. but you can do PFB work. You can do ground ball work. You can yep. do all that stuff in there. Um, And then to have all the technology in there, the HIT tracks um, in there, and then one of the the machines that we put up there on the second floor that we're really excited about that I know you and I have talked about is the the Proteus machine, Um, which I think is an absolute game-changer for us. Um, As it stands right now, we're the only Power 5 program in the country to have that, and the information that's going to give us about the health of our guys uh, and the baselines it's going to give us on top of... um, you know what? what it's going to do for our player development, both for our pitchers and our position players. Um, I'm
0: so all in on that machine. And I can't. I'm really, really excited about Proteus. Next level. We're still working through it ourselves, um, but there's there's some really encouraging stuff that's going to be able to help a lot of programs. I think we we, we we shore up all the data and what it means and how to apply it to the actual interventions. So well, and that's yeah. and that's
1: honestly that's we we're getting a baseline on our guys right when they come back on Proteus. Mm-hmm. We're starting to build out our protocols on that. Yep. On that. Um, and you know, I think it's probably going to be, I mean, it's going to be a game changer and it's going to, we're going to be slowly building in exactly how Mm -hmm. we, and and changing how we use it all the time. Um, but it's going to be a game changer. So that's, that's the second floor. Um, and then, um, state of the art training room, um, hot tub, cold tub, um, everything that we need to, you know, you know, it's a training room is a place you hope the kids never have to go, but when they're in there, you want it to be great. So, um, training room and then a weight room that's not for full team lifts. We'll still do it. We have a, another weight room for our full team lifts. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a weight room. If you, if you imagine um, size wise, like a large hotel, like a hotel weight room, that's something that would fit maybe five to seven people. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, we, like I said, it's not for team lifts. This is your Friday starter gets a Saturday lift. It's, yeah. you know, guys get an extra lift on a Tuesday after a game. It's that type of a weight room. Every, it, it, you can get a full lift in there. You just can't get it's not 35
0: guys lifting in there, which yeah. is, you know, which, which
1: was designed on purpose. It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a auxiliary type weight room. It's convenient. It's,
0: it's big. No, that guys can warm up three games and things like that. Those are, those absolutely. are all your pre exactly, game
1: stuff, Uh huh. your pregame stuff, your post stuff, you know, and, and again, you know, you go get a great lift in there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and you know, so it might be, you know, and as we start, as we continue to move into this building I and mean, we're literally in the still, you know, we just moved in November, but, you know, maybe your group one pitchers lift on there on on Tuesday night, you know, in the fall on on Tuesday after practice, like, you know, those, those five guys get that lift in there. And then the other guys lift with the team, say Wednesday morning, you know, you you can, you start having all those different abilities. Cause I also really do believe in a team lift.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I I am all in on that of guys, even though obviously everybody's not doing the exact same thing Mm -hmm. in the weight room, you have pitchers and position players and starters and relievers and, Different guys focusing on different things in the weight room, but the idea that we're all in there together, working yeah. through stuff and grinding stuff out. And, um, I think is critically important. So I do still love the team lift. Um, you know, and then, uh, then the locker room, a locker room, a beautiful locker room that we're really, really lucky and extremely fortunate to have. And, and, a, and then a, a lounge kind of connected off to the side of it. Um, so and everything's full and you know, all the technology and everything that we can put, you know, again, you talk about three years before this building. I mean, we we didn't have a great place to sit down and go through film yeah, and, and to go through scouting reports. And now um, you can do that in the hospitality suite. You can do it on the, we have TVs everywhere. You can do the lounge, you can do the locker room. You can do it in the, in, you know, we'll have to be able to have the, the, the days starting pitcher up on the TV in the batting cages while the guys are hitting off a machine. That's got the same stuff that that guy has that they're facing today. I mean, the abilities, you know, and the fun thing is we've already shown that we can develop guys at a high level with no facilities. mm mm-hmm now to be able to add facilities and some of this technology like we just talked about which we've had some of but yeah. um it, it's really really exciting it's and really you, really and exciting you,
0: and to have it all there conveniently is key like i've come to realize that just having the fields and the cages and the the mountains all right there instead of having to hop in the car and drive a quarter mile up the road to play catch it's a it's a game changer particularly when you got college kids where there's a busy schedule and you're you're not having to track them all over campus nearly as much and and, and i agree and these kids they're torn and Hey, n- uh, this is not a complaint, right?
1: Because all of us would love to be where these kids are right now. Yeah, but but they have a lot of stuff going on. This place, yeah. this place is really hard academically, and yeah. they w- work really hard um, at baseball. And on top of that, they're college kids and they want to have a little bit of a social life. And right, so yeah. like, there's a lot going on in these guys' lives. And 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 then when you, you add, add in their draft year, year, when you add in the, um, you know, it's, you know, in, in the fall, having to mix in meeting with scouts and. And, and, and you know, which is our virtual right now. But, like, there's a lot for these guys. So if you can make it simpler on them um, and make the, you know make their life a little bit easier, like you said, we can, you know, we can throw here. We can long toss here. You can get your arm. You're going to get all your stuff done, and then you can head out. It's great. Right.
0: I like it. All right, so we always do a lightning round on the tail end of everyone. It's kind of quick hitter answers. What's one book that every player should read? Uh,
1: one of my favorites is, um, That I, that I really believe, I think it has changed this. The idea has changed some, some careers. Um, Carol Dweck wrote a book, Mindset, Mm -hmm. talks about, um, growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. And I think for young kids, I think a lot, lot, lot of kids that we recruit get stuck in a fixed mindset when they think they're either good or bad at something Mm -hmm. and learning and understanding that idea of no matter what it is, I can get better at it. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's a game changer for a lot that I, that idea is a game changer for a lot of young players. Love it. What about a book every coach should read? Um I'll give you uh, let me give you a couple. Actually, one I love Tony Tony Dungy's stuff. Yep. Um so he's got a, a couple um you know Quiet Strength is one of them and and um mm-hmm his leadership books. I love Tony Dungy's books. Um, and I also love talent code. I think
0: yeah. that's really good one. Nice. All right. If you could go back in time and give Mike Gambino some advice 20 years ago, as you're, you're kind of first starting your coaching career, what would it be?
1: Um, well, I think, <laughs> I think I was, um, I had a little bit of the, and I don't mean this as an actual fight, but like, I, I like I, I want to fight everybody and I don't mean actually fight everybody, but like, <laughs> this is what we want to do and whatever we like, let's go. And I think, um, you know, I think, um, I sort of wanted to, I guess, argue more than fight. I right? I want yeah. to kind of, I was more into, you know, I would, I would argue with people over stuff instead of like, sometimes you, it's not worth yeah. it. that
0: fight. Yeah.
1: Be, get it right. Instead of be right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Um, all right. So fourth one, favorite coaching memory. Um, I tell you what, one of one of my favorite coaching memories, and, it, and it's gonna, it's going to, at first seem obvious, but not because what you think. One of my favorite coaching memories actually was, um, right, before the Super Regional in 2016, the Thursday night. This is when the draft was then. Yeah. And we took the team to dinner, and that's when, um, done, that's the first night, done, first right? night of the draft. Yeah, that's when Justin got drafted. Um, now the reason that's one of my favorite coaching memories and not because Justin got drafted in the first round. All I mean, that that was cool. But for me, I was sitting there watching it and when Justin gets drafted, I watched 35 guys. There was a, there's a moment in the restaurant that the guys are hugging everybody jumping up and down and you legitimately can't tell whose life just got changed right there. <laughs> so when I look, when I look back at that moment, I mean, yes, Justin being drafted at school, but one, the reason it was a it was a coaching one of my favorite coaching memories is that's a true brotherhood. When you yeah. had this many guys, everybody in that room has been working since they were four years old to hear their name called right there. Yeah. But if you for you watch, those, I mean, I, I I remember like like it was yesterday, and and it wasn't st- like I, you don't know how the guys are going to react when mm-hmm. Justin's name's called. You, you know what I mean? And those guys, I mean, they hugged him. They loved and. Again, if you look at any face in that thing, you think that's the guy that just got drafted in the first round. That idea that we had a group, and it's something that's important in our program, and I believe we have that most years in this program. I really do. It's something that we talk about, that brotherhood. Seeing that brotherhood actually act out in a completely unscripted moment that nobody knew was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um is one of my favorite is one of my favorite coaching memories
0: i love it all right last one we have a lot of kids and parents who listen to this podcast together in the car on the way to games or practices if you give one bit of advice to the kids and the parents what would it be i I think what's happening a lot now and i think um
1: social media is adding is is a this this idea is always happening but social social media makes it worse and worse and worse um is everybody is so caught up in what everybody else is doing mm-hmm. and um, everything from, I mean, you hear it from kids saying, well, i got to commit because other kids are committing. It's like, well, who cares what other kids are doing? Have you found the place that you like? Is that the place you want to go? Like, right? Or, you know, i got to throw my breaking ball like this because this is what Trevor Bauer said on, and I'm not knocking Trevor Bauer, okay. you know, this is how Trevor Bauer said he throws it. It's like, well, you're not Trevor Bauer. It's okay, man. Just, right? I think kids, parents, are so caught up in what everybody else is doing instead yeah. of just focusing on on what they're doing. And you know this somewhat lo- loops back, not to get too long-winded about it, but when you talk about our hitters and infielders, one of the things that's really important to me is help these players become their best authentic self. Yeah. So I don't want Sal Frelick and Cody Morissette to try to do the exact same thing. There are certain things you have to do with your hit plan and certain things you have to do to be ready to hit, but... Let's worry about Cody being the best Cody. Let's worry about Sal being the best Sal. Their bodies are different. Their games are different. Their skill sets are different. So th- let's just do that. And it's okay. And you can talk to each other about that, right? But I, I, I just think we're so externally focused and, and not focused enough on what are the things I do well? What are the things I don't? What do I have to improve on? What makes me good? And how do I become the best version of myself? And how do I figure out what's best for me in these scenarios?
0: Absolutely. Be where your feet are. It's a good good, uh,
1: good important my, message.
0: I love that. We talk about it. My guys hear me say that, that all the time. Um hey, this is awesome. Um folks can find you on, on Twitter under BC Baseball. It's at BC Birdball. You guys have done some uh some really cool stuff in building a program. Obviously, you did some remarkable, you know, charity work through Pete's Foundation and um, you know, really, really cool to see what you guys have done with uh with an, with a program that was on the up and up and you you took it to the next level. So congratulations on all your success and thanks so much for taking the time with us today.
1: Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be on and, and like I said, I'm really just as a friend to be able to watch what you've built is it's awesome
0: and amazing, and, and, um, and
1: I really appreciate you
0: letting me be part of this podcast. Right on. Well, good luck this year. We'll be cheering for you. Thanks, bud. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd be thrilled if you'd consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving us a review to read on iTunes. We welcome your suggestions. For future guests and questions, just email elitebaseballpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for your continued support, and we'll see you next episode.